Okay. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is October 18th, 2017. I can't believe the year is almost gone. It's really gone quickly. Today, my special guest is Dr. Ron Rosenthal, and he's an expert in migraines and tetanitis. He has authored over eight books, and I believe he's working on another three. His purpose is to address health conditions such as head, neck, and facial pain, dentures, partials, um, tetanitis, migraines, and sleep apnea. He's a graduate of Georgetown University School of Dentistry. After that, he practiced dental Um, general dentistry, and then he went into teaching at the University of Kentucky Dental School. He's published so many articles that are scholarly, just amazing, and he um, chooses to use his time educating people now on all the conditions I mentioned earlier. So let's bring him onto our show now. Welcome, 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 Dr. Ronald Rosenthal. Thank you, Denise, and just call me Ron. Okay, we will do that. (laughs) Ron, why don't you tell our listeners how you got on the path that you're on today? Did you think you were going to be a dentist when you were a child? I had been told that I would be a dentist from the time I was a child. (laughs) It turns out that my, my parents were best friends with a dentist and his wife, and uh, I was groomed to be a dentist. I didn't have much choice in the matter, to tell you the truth. Oh, <laughs> but you've enjoyed it. At any rate, huh? oh, yeah. Well, I, I got lucky. I, After high school, I went to the University of Richmond for my undergraduate work and promptly flunked out. And not knowing what I wanted to do, I decided to go into the military. So I, I enlisted and went into the Army, and uh, they put me in the Dental Corps, oddly enough. And I that really learned a lot about it. Yeah. Uh, and I learned a lot about it there, of course. And uh, it got to the point where I knew I wanted to be a dentist. And as a matter of fact, I got out of de- uh, the Army a few months early to go back to school so that I could get into dental school. Huh. 
Well, obviously, you took some form of an aptitude test in the Army, and you probably knew a lot just from um, your parents probably talking about it, correct? Not really. No? Um, I didn't really know that much about dentistry. I just knew that uh, I was interested in doing it, and uh, I really found out how much I really wanted to do it when I got assigned to a particular dentist. Uh, and he would let me do all kinds of things that he probably should not have let me do, like <laughs> filling teeth uh, oh, no. and carving fillings and polishing fillings and doing all of that kind of good stuff. And so I got my hands wet uh, while I was in the Army, and I loved it. I really did. And he taught me how to carve uh, dental anatomy and uh, how to observe it closely. And when I got to dental school, I was way ahead of the game, of course, simply because I had done all of that. Plus, after I got out of the Army, I moved back to Norfolk, and which is where I am now. And uh, right down the street from my folks' house, which actually is about three blocks from where I live right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, my gosh. A, was a dental office. And one day I missed it. And I went in there and I met the dentist and I told him, you know, I, I missed being around the dental, opera, uh, dental office. And he said, i tell you what. You come in here after school. I was in college. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you're not in school, come in here. And I'll teach you how to do dental lab work uh, free of charge, and he'd pay me. And I learned how to do stuff in such a basic way from him that it made everything else simple. Be darned. It was really great. Yeah. So uh, then when I went to dental school, of course, none of the other guys in my class knew well, one guy did, uh, but they didn't know how to do the kind of things we were doing in the laboratory, and I did. And so it, it really gave me a foot up on on things, and uh, I just had a, a wonderful time in dental school doing the lab work. That was, that was huh. something I really enjoyed. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> so why it did you go into teaching? Going through it. Why did you go into teaching? Well, I'd been out of dental school for about eight years, and I was getting bored, mm. to be perfectly honest. I mean, how many root canals or how many fillings or how many cleanings or how many extractions or bridges or what have you do you have to do before it gets to be the same old thing over and over again? Mm. And I had all of this this information in my skull, I figured, well, I, what's the best way to use it? Uh, I, I decided I was going to see if I couldn't get out there and do some lectures. Uh, and my wife said to me, you're not going to be happy doing that. You're going to want to go into teaching full time. And she was right. So I, I went to, I started sending out resumes 
I got hired by the University of Kentucky Dental School. I went there, and whew, that's when I really started to learn. Because students always ask you questions you can't answer. <laughs> and, of course, my, my, my response was always, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. So I had to go <laughs> learn to go back to them and, you know, tell them mm-hmm. the answer to their question. And mm-hmm. so I learned a great deal when I was teaching. And I decided at that time that, first of all, I didn't know that much about how people learn, much less how to teach. So I started going over to the education school and taking some courses. And next thing you knew, they talked me into going into their education program. And so I got my master's in curriculum and instruction uh, in education. So uh, I got first I got my dental degree. And I got into dental school with just two years of college. So I didn't have an undergraduate degree. So I got my dental degree first, then I got my master's degree when I was teaching, and then I contacted the school where I went to my, for my undergraduate training, and I said, I've got all of these postgraduate courses under my belt. Would you accept them toward my undergraduate degree? They said yes, so they awarded it. So I got my doctorate first, my master's second, and my <laughs> bachelor's third. And next oh week gosh. I plan to go take my GED. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's really wild. It's 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 different. Well, everybody, I think everybody thinks I'm kind of backward anyway, and that's kind of how I I got into tinnitus. Um, it was just amazing, you know, what happened there that I happened well, yeah. to stumble over that uh the cause of it or not the cause but the cure i didn't i didn't know anything about tinnitus i thought it was a medical you know ear nose and throat specialist field and mm-hmm. that you know it had nothing to do with dentistry it couldn't have not the way i thought at that time but then one day i was working on a patient who suffered from migraines Now, this normally took three appointments. We'd adjust the bite fully to, you need to understand what causes migraine and headache. And that is what you do with your teeth when your bite is off. Because when the bite is off, if you hit one tooth before the others touch, you tend, that tends to trigger a tooth clenching, grinding, and gnashing habit. And when you do all that clenching, grinding, and gnashing, the thing that makes that possible is the muscles which chew, which move the jaw, the chewing muscles, what we call the muscles of mastication. Now, when you overwork those muscles with these habits of clenching, grinding, and gnashing, these muscles can go in, into a spasm, a painful spasm. Just like, have you ever had a charley horse in your leg? Mm-hmm. You overwork the muscle in the leg, and it went into a painful spasm. Well, the same thing can happen to the muscles in the head area that move the jaw. And one of those is right on the side of the skull. It's called the temporal muscle or temporalis. And when that muscle goes into spasm, 
it hurts really, really bad. And that's what we call a headache. You see in these pictures of people who have a headache or a migraine and they're rubbing their temples? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, you, you walk into a pharmacy, you'll see a picture of it up on the wall, usually. Uh, well, that's because the temporalis muscle is in a spasm, and it hurts, just like the charley horse in your leg hurts. But the thing is, the chewing muscles are the most powerful muscles in the body, bar none. I remember seeing Dr. Oz one time on his show, and he was talking about TMJ problems, temporal mandibular joint, which Mm -hmm. is the jaw joint. And he put his left hand on the left side of his jaw, and he said, this is the most powerful muscle in the body. And he's right. There's no question about it. If you've ever tried to open a child's mouth to give them medicine medicine they didn't want to take, you know what I'm talking about. Of course. Now, Mm -hmm. the thing is, if we correct the bite problem, the headache, migraine, they go away. They just disappear because the patient stops clenching, grinding, and gnashing, which gets the stress off the muscles, so they calm down. And that's how we eliminate headache and migraine. Uh, I learned this from a bunch of guys, dentists, back in the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, they had been curing headache and migraine for decades before I came along. So we've known what causes these problems for decades, almost 100 years probably. Interesting? I think so. Uh, it is, it at is, any rate. It's very interesting. My question to you is yeah. a lot of people experience um, when they're sleeping, the, the mashing of their jaws, et cetera. That's so, right. And, so how is that corrected? When the bite is off, that means that when the jaw closes up straight up in its proper position, that one tooth on the bottom will hit one tooth on the top. Now, in order to get the rest of the teeth together, they have to clench and slide their bottom jaw forward and upward and to one side or the other to get mm-hmm. all the rest of the teeth to mesh. Now, that interference in the bites that causes them to do those crazy movements of the jaw is enough to trigger the tooth clenching, grinding, and gnashing. Hmm. And so if we go in and find out where they're hitting too hard and mark it, are you you familiar with the blue little pieces of blue paper we use uh, to find spots that are... Okay. Mm -hmm. We use that. And we mark the spot that's hitting first. We guide the jaw closed so that it's in its proper position. And it marks the spots on the top and bottom teeth that are touching first. So we shave a little tiny bit off. Okay. there will be another spot or two that will be touching first. So we do the same thing over again. And we keep doing that. It's sort of like... <clears throat> leveling the chair, the legs of a chair or a table so it sits flush on the floor. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
Mm-hmm. Now, we keep doing that until every single tooth in the head touches at exactly the same time against the other teeth, you know, upper against lower. And once we've got that done, we can't stop there because if when you go to the uh, forward, if any of your back teeth touch when you go forward, you know, slide your bottom jaw forward or the teeth forward, uh, like if you're going to bite into something. If you're hitting a back tooth first when you slide forward, then you can't get your front teeth together to bite into whatever it is you want to eat. And so we make sure that when you slide your teeth forward, like with them together, that none of the back teeth touch. They just barely miss. And then Mm -hmm. we do the same thing when you go from side to side, because once again, if you go to the left side and uh, to chew and you're hitting a tooth on the right, you can't get the teeth on the left side together to chew properly. So we Mm -hmm. have to have the teeth just barely miss. And when we do that, not only do the muscles calm down and the headaches and migraines disappear, also the tinnitus disappears. In addition, the teeth at that point when we finish doing this, it, they are functioning so beautifully. They are meshing so great together and they tend to just rip food apart. I mean, really tough foods just fall apart like, you know, there's just nothing there. It's amazing how much better you can chew and enjoy your food. I'll be darned. So obviously some people would need orthodonture work. Uh, That's extremely rare. I I think over the 40-plus years that I was adjusting bites like this um, or treating headache and migraine, uh, I think I saw maybe one or two, maybe three people who needed orthodontics first. Hmm. And I treated uh, hundreds of people over those years. Really? Because once, yeah, because once, once they they learned that I knew how to get rid of headache and migraine, people found out about it. They, you know, told their friends and they told their friends and. So I got very busy doing that. Hmm. That's really interesting. Then, and then, of course, I discovered, serendipitously, I discovered, I just almost like fell on top of the solution to tinnitus. Hmm. <clears throat> Are you, have you what? taught others um, in the medical profession oh, yeah. about this? Oh, yeah. Well, not, I, I have tried to speak to people in the medical profession, but uh, they don't seem to be interested in it. They uh, feel that migraine is a well, it was a vascular headache. Now, then it was chemical changes in the brain. Then it was electrochemical changes and physiological disease and this, that, and the other thing, which is, I mean, I could never have cured all those patients over the years, uh, if that were the case. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. still hear the uh, American Migraine Association begging for money so that they can do the research, support the research to find out what the cause is of headache and migraine. 
In fact, the the same story comes out of the American Tinnitus Association. Incidentally, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but migraine and tinnitus are considered substantial causes of suicide. And a great Mm -hmm. example of that, of course, is Vincent van Gogh. Hmm. First he took off his ear, then he took his took off his life. To oh, kill gee. Okay. Hmm. And he, we knew he had migraine. Nobody ever said anything about tinnitus mm-hmm. uh, for him, but uh, I surmise that that he did suffer from tinnitus because the two go together. Migraine and tinnitus. Many people with migraine also have tinnitus problems. And, but the thing is, the tinnitus occurs differently than the migraines and headaches do. How's that? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> you see, we didn't... What, what, I hap- what happened with me is I was eliminating the... Uh, migraines for a patient and it normally took about three visits and uh, we would adjust the bite then they would come up come back a week later we'd readjust it then a week later and we would readjust it and the reason for that is that as we adjusted the bite the first time the muscles which had been in spasm calmed down a great deal and when they were in spasm, they were holding the jaw in a slightly odd position. And when the muscles relaxed and calmed down, the jaw would assume a better position. But then, once again, the bite was off. Just a little tiny bit, but it was off. So we'd have to see him the second time to readjust it to take care of that relaxation of the jaw. Mm-hmm. And then we'd have to do it a third time, but by the third End of the third visit, we had a really stable bite that was not going to be changing. And uh, so we did it three times. Well, this one patient that I was working on came in for her uh, third visit. And before I ever did anything on anyone, I'd say, how are you doing? Are you any better? Uh, And this one woman looked at me and she said, Oh, the migraines are gone. The headaches are much better. But the interesting thing is my tinnitus is gone. And I said, what? Uh, I was shocked. I'd never heard of tinnitus in relation to dental problems. Uh, And I doubt if any other dentists had at the time. At any rate, I started doing research to try to find out what was going on. And it took me eight years to finally figure out, I think I figured it out. Uh, And it was based on the findings of a dentist who came up to Kentucky, the University of Kentucky at the dental school to do some research into the jaw joint. And he found a ligament that had eluded anatomists for hundreds and hundreds of years. This was back in the 1950s. He published his uh, findings in 1962 
two in the Journal of Prosthetic Dentistry. And what he found was that there was a ligament that attached to the finger-like part of the lower jaw that goes into the upper jaw. And on the back, well, between the two jaws, the lower finger-like projection and the depression in the upper jaw, there's a, a cushion of tissue that keeps the two bones from rubbing or grinding against each other. Well, on the back side of that little disc, that pad of tissue, there is a ligament that runs from there through an opening in the bone behind the joint. And it goes into the middle ear. It's called the petrotempanic fissure, this hole. It's like a slot. And this ligament goes through that uh, opening into the bone and it goes into the middle ear. And once it gets into the middle ear, it goes up and attaches to one of the three little tiny bones in the ear. They're called ossicles. And it goes up and it attaches to the malleus or hammer uh, bone. And when the jaw goes forward, when you're clenching, grinding, and gnashing your teeth, it pulls on the ligament, which pulls on that little tiny bone in the middle ear, which causes the brain to hear sound when there's no sound on the outside. Hmm. That's what tinnitus is. That's what causes tinnitus, I believe. Um, now, there is some argument that you'll get from some physicians about this. They... They did a study, one study, where they did cadavers and they opened up their joints and they pulled on the ligament that I'm talking about. It's, incidentally, it's called Pinto's ligament. And they pull on Pinto's ligament with some tweezers. And in some cases, it caused the bone, the little bone in the ear to move. In some cases, it didn't. Now, the thing is... I don't believe that they could pull as hard on that ligament as the jaw pulls on it with all of these powerful muscles pulling the jaw forward. And so uh, I still think that this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. Seems logical to me. And if I hadn't, if, if it was not pulling on that bone and causing this tinnitus problem, then how was I able to eliminate their tinnitus by adjusting their bite so that it didn't pull on the uh, ligament anymore? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's how I got into the tinnitus part of this. And um, now I've, I've written a book about it. Uh, and I'm just finishing the second edition, which I'm going to be publishing very shortly, hopefully in the next week. And good. the the book uh, is called "Is Headache, Migraine, or Tinnitus Messing with Your Head?" Uh, <laughs> actually, actually, the the one for tinnitus is is tinnitus messing with your head. Uh, mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to really get a complete picture of what's going on, they might want to take a look at it. 
And where would they find it? It's a Kindle ebook. Oh, okay. On Amazon through Kindle? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But wait until I get the new one up, which will be in about a week. Okay. But you also have eight other, much more information. Other, you have eight other books yes. that you've written. Yes. And and what are those about? They are about <clears throat> the same subject, basically. Headache, migraine, tinnitus, snoring and sleep apnea, and dentures. My latest hmm. book on dentures is called Death by Dentures. Are you at risk? Oh, dear. Because yeah, people who have dentures are at risk of having a heart attack, stroke, and even death. And those who survive the stroke or heart attack, many of them, end up spending the rest of their life in a wheelchair in a nursing home. Uh, and it's not a pretty sight. Why? Why are they Pardon at me? risk? Why are they at risk? Well, there Uh are are several ways that they're at risk. First of all, they wear their dentures too long. The average life of a denture out there today is, according to the American Prosthodontic Association, it's 16 years. But dentures are supposed to be replaced every five to seven years. And halfway during that five to seven years, they're supposed to be refitted so that they fit the ridge that they sit on as perfectly as possible. You see, the problem is that there's only one reason you got bone in the jaws, and that's to hold the roots of teeth. Once you pull all those roots out, there's no reason for that bone to be there. So Mm -hmm. it starts dissolving away. And Mm -hmm. as it dissolves away, of course, we denture dentists have put dentures on them so that uh, and that's irritating to the bone so it causes it to shrink back even faster and as the bone on the top sh- shrinks away it goes up of course the denture goes up with it and then the one on the bottom of course the bone goes down so the bottom denture goes down in addition both of them tend to move inward as well. And so the lips sink in and because the dentures have moved so much further apart, they have to overclose their jaws to get the teeth to touch, which means that the chin and the nose come closer together. Now, we've got a holiday coming up this month. Pictures of Halloween witches That's what they look like when they have had all of this bone loss. Mm -hmm. So after two and a half to three and a half years, the dentures need to be refitted. But we can Mm -hmm. only get away with refitting them one time. And so after another two and a half to three and a half years, we need to replace them. The problem, Mm -hmm. of course, is that most of the people who have dentures are seniors. And they're Mm -hmm. on very limited income, so they can't afford them. Mm-hmm. So they don't get this done. They let they wear them forever and forever and forever, and this destroys even more of the bone, which makes it even more difficult for us to make dentures that will fit comfortably for them. That's too bad. 
so, but that's that's just one of the problems. Okay. Mm-hmm. The big problem is that when the jaws close too far together, it tends to crowd the person's tongue. They don't have enough room for it. And if they go to sleep at night and they leave their dentures out, which is what we dentists have taught them for hundred, almost 100 years, I guess, um, we've always told them to leave your dentures out soaking in a cleansing solution in a glass by the bed. And mm-hmm. uh, everybody does that almost. Well, there are some women who don't because they're embarrassed to be seen without them. turns out they're smarter than we dentists are. We've been advising patients to leave their dentures out at night for, as I said, almost 100 years. But what have we done unintentionally? We've set them up so that when they go to sleep at night, they have no support for their jaws. Their jaws overclose. It crowds their tongue significantly, which forces the tongue back into the back of their throat, causing snoring and sleep apnea. Now, sleep apnea kills over 40,000 Americans every year. 40 million, I'm sorry. No, that's 10 It's 40 million. It's 40,000 people a year die from sleep apnea. And that's people who have their natural teeth. We don't know the figure for those who wear dentures. Mm -hmm. And it could be tens of thousands. But there's another problem. And it's caused by the federal government. For example, when Medicare was established by Roosevelt way back when, they decided, the Congress did in their wisdom, that they would pay to have people's teeth removed. The thing is, they didn't okay replacement of those missing teeth with dentures. As a result, these people could not eat normal, healthy food like vegetables, Mm -hmm. right? And so they had to eat soft foods, which is predominantly carbohydrates. And carbohydrates are nothing but long-chain sugars. And when you put carbohydrates in the body, it breaks them down into those individual sugars. So eating a carbohydrate like bread or pasta or rice or any starch is like eating sugar. Mm -hmm. And so these people develop diabetes. And diabetes leads to heart attack, stroke, and other uh, types of nutritional disorders. Mm, And and that that can kill them also. Mm -hmm. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, there are several different ways in which death by dentures can occur. For anyone who has dentures, if they don't replace the dentures frequently enough and go, well, many of them, is, this is another problem, they'll go to the so-called denture mills. I don't know if you've heard of them. These are the low-cost denture places where they go in in the morning and get the teeth in the afternoon. And they do it in what we call a two-step technique. Once in a while, they'll do a three-step. But 
we're taught in dental school that the only way to make dentures properly, to support the jaws properly, is with a five-step technique. So these people are getting shortchanged three steps. And as a result, they never get the kind of support the jaws need, so they develop a sleep apnea, which is, can easily kill them. Mm-hmm. All right? So, and who does this mainly affect? The most at-risk group in our society are seniors. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but I would hate to think of my parents going through such a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And well, then dentistry's, right, come, um, dentistry's come a long way. Um, technology has taken it a long way since when you first started. Oh, yeah. You know, we have dental We have dental implants now. Um, oh, of course a crown, we do. A crown can be made on a dentist's computer, and then That's a right. machine makes it while you're in the office waiting. That's right. And they actually and fit a lot wonderful. better. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful what they can do now. Mm-hmm. But with dentures, with it, you better believe it's expensive. You think dentures are expensive, add implants into the mix, and you are talking about tremendous expense. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. seniors being on a uh, fixed income, most of them can't afford it. So they have to get the regular dentures. And where do they go because they've got so little money? They go down to the denture mills and they get these poorly made dentures with the wrong kind of teeth on them. And it just damages the jawbone tremendously. Mm -hmm. For example, I said the wrong kind of teeth on them. Natural teeth have bumps on them. They're called cusps. And they mesh together. I was talking about that earlier. They're supposed to anyway. Now, when you grind tooth against tooth, natural tooth, remember they've got these long roots that are buried in the bone like mm-hmm. a post in a post hole. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't move. Well, they do a little tiny bit, but not much at all. But dentures are sitting on soft gum tissue. If they've got these bumps on them or cusps, when they grind or chew from side to side, the bumps bump into each other and the gum underneath the dentures gives and the dentures move from side to side and they pop up and down and they break loose. Oh, sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah. And this is why so many people have so many problems with dentures is because the dentists use these bumpy teeth. And what they should be using is what we call monoplane teeth. They're perfectly flat on the biting surface, and the dentures just glide over each other like an ice skater on ice. And so you don't get these lateral forces on the dentures, which also irritates the bone even more, which causes it to shrink back even faster. Plus the fact that they use porcelain teeth, and they charge a premium for this. Uh, porcelain teeth and the problem is have you ever placed one porcelain dinner plate on top of another one and heard listen to it clatter uh-huh 
Have you ever done that same thing with plastic dinner plates? They oh, don't geez. clatter. Uh. Okay? So when they use porcelain teeth on dentures and they bump into each other, there's a tremendous glassy, hard force that's produced. And that force is produced uh, is uh, transferred to the bone, which causes the bone to shrink back even faster. I would never use anything but plastic teeth on the dentures I made. And my patients loved them, and, they, and even with the flat teeth. But then, of course, I would show them how to chew and how to bite with them because they're, if they don't know how to do that, then they're in big trouble mm-hmm. because, because they do it wrong. You see, mm-hmm. for example, when we bite with natural teeth, like a sandwich or an apple, we bite into it with our front teeth and we pull the food away from our teeth, right? Hello? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so we pull the food away. Well, when you do that with dentures, it pushes forward on the front teeth and on the bottom front teeth, top top and bottom front teeth, and when you do that, it tends to make them break loose in the back. So it's extremely important that someone with dentures, when they bite into something, that they keep the pressure against the front teeth, which tends to seat them tighter. Hmm, that's really so interesting. That they can bite, so that they can bite properly or easily. Hmm. And then what they need to do to chew it, everyone tries to chew. Up, they'll put the food on, on the left side or the right side, and then they'll chew up and down and moving their jaw from side to side. And, of course, these bumps on the teeth are bumping into each other, and the dentures are getting loose, and they're popping up and down. And uh, it's very difficult to chew that way. What they need to do is to cut the food into smaller pieces and put two pieces in their mouth at the same time, then split them up with their tongue so they've got a piece on each side, and then chew straight up and down. And when they do that, it causes the dentures to seat tighter. Oh, that's really interesting. But I don't, but I don't know how many dentists... I've, I've, I've never met a, a patient, uh, during my career anyway, that has been told how to chew with them. Mhm. So, mm. there are a lot of problems that are related to denture wear. Mm-hmm. And if the patients are not told about these things, if we if we if they don't learn about this beforehand, then they've they're going to have problems and it could kill them. Mm, and and that's that's very sad. Mm-hmm. Well, we're running out of time. Why don't you tell our listeners um, where they can, um, again, tell them, if they've just tuned in later in the show, obviously, um, where they can get your books. They're on Kindle eBooks, And uh, just do a search on Kindle eBooks for Dr. Ronald L. Rosenthal. That's me. And it will take you to the page where all my books are listed. 
Well, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to uh, oh, teach us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Because it really has been, um, there have been a lot of teaching moments in our show today. I mean, I know I learned things that I, I never knew. And um, for anybody that tuned in later into the show, I've been talking with Dr. Ronald Rosenthal. And he's an expert in dentistry, as well as in headaches and migraines and tentinitis. Thanks again tinnitus. so much. Thanks so much My for being with us. My pleasure, Denise. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Hold on. Just Can I speak to you for a second afterwards? Yeah. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? The entire contents of this radio show are based upon the opinions of Denise and her guest. It's not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional, and it's not intended as medical advice. We're simply sharing knowledge and information from our guest and the experience of Denise. We encourage you to make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional of your choice. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, 